Welcome to Musicians Versus the World, the podcast where we explore aspects of music and musician life that may not have been covered in music school. I am your host, pianist Christine Smith, and today we are celebrating. We are celebrating our 50th podcast episode, and this is a really big deal for us. We put a lot of time and effort into creating these episodes, into doing the research and finding interesting guests and interesting topics that are useful, educational, and entertaining for you. And we have received so much support from you, our listeners and our followers, and we wanted to thank you with a special 50th episode. I reached out to all of you to find out what questions that you have about music and musician life, and also what advice that you have to give other musicians. And we're going to listen to your responses and talk about them today. And to help me talk about them, my co-host is the man behind the microphone, Russ Wilkes. He is my podcast producer and my father, and I value his opinion very much. And I want to introduce him to you so that you can hear some of his wonderful advice and thoughts on music as well. A little background on him. He started on Wall Street and was a founder of the private equity company Overland Capital. And then he moved over to run a media production company and is now my partner in producing content through Frosted Lens Entertainment. Again, like I said, I value his opinion and his wisdom and all of his business experience and musical experience. So thanks for joining me today, Dad. Oh, it's my pleasure. Although I'm always here. It's just, you just no one ever sees me. But for the 50th, it's nice to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you deserve recognition. You put so much work into this. Okay. All right. So our first question, our first question comes from Megan. When I get to college, what kinds of music classes can I take? Are they all about learning to play an instrument and singing? I can answer this one. Um, It all depends on if you are a music major or if you're a non-major. Both have a lot of really, really great options. You've probably talked a lot about the music major classes with your teacher if you are interested in being a music major. And usually you have a core set of classes that include your music theory, sight singing, dictation, and then some sort of form and analysis class. Those are usually a couple of semesters long, and they work together to just kind of increase your overall musicianship. And then you're going to have your basic music history classes. And again, yes, you're going to have some instrument classes and some ensembles. And then there's a lot of variation depending on what kind of music degree you're going into. So you could have recording classes, or you could have more performance classes, or you could have music business, maybe music therapy classes if you're going into music therapy, pedagogy classes if you're going to be a teacher, usually some conducting, orchestration, uh, counterpoint. There's a lot of things to do if you're going to be a music major. If you are not a music major and you love music classes and you want to keep learning music in college, there are tons and tons of options. Maybe not as many options as if you are a music major, but there's still a lot of really fun things to do. Um, The best thing to do is to go through the academic course book in your college of choice and see what they have because the classes that are reserved only for music majors are very, very clearly defined. Most schools have some sort of music appreciation class. Um, And then of course, usually they have some sort of ensembles or choruses that are non-auditioned and you don't have to be a music major to take those. But that's a good question, though. It's good to know because not everybody's going to end up being a music major. But if you still love music, there's options. There's options for you to continue on learning about music without being a major. 
Sure. And that's what's, that's, what's great about going to college. There's lots of different things you can study. Yeah. I mean, I even took a, I was a business major, but I even took a, some kind of music one-on-one class and I don't know what yeah. I learned, but um, it was fun. <laughs> so. Was it fun? Okay, good. So you didn't have like an overzealous teacher in that one then? No, we didn't have an overzealous teacher. Okay. So. <laughs> That's good to hear. <laughs> I've heard horror stories about Music 101. So. <laughs> so this question is from Hugh, and it kind of goes along with what classes you can take as a major. What other options do I have besides being a teacher? So I think what Hugh's asking is if he does end up majoring in music or if he does want some sort of music career, what will that prepare him for besides being a teacher? That's a very, very good question. And that is a question that I struggled with a lot when I was in college because I wasn't sure that I wanted to be a teacher and I wasn't sure if I wanted to do the competition circuit and I was trying to figure out what my place was going to be. Now that I have been a musician for a while, I know that there's lots of options. Heidi Begay is a good friend of mine. She's a podcaster and she's a wonderful flutist. And she answered my, my call for advice for these young musicians. And she had a great piece of advice about how to find your niche. Hi, podcast listener. This is Dr. Heidi K. Begay from the Flute 360 podcast and the Pivoting Musician podcast. If you are an aspiring musician, my one piece of advice would be to find your niche within the music community. The job opportunities are endless in this field, and if you can hone your skills and understand what makes you unique, then you'll be able to thrive. Of course, everyone's music career will look vastly different from one another, and that's beautiful and exciting. Once you find your niche and know what brings you life, then own it. Be comfortable in your own skin and let those qualities shine. So I'll just list a few of them. And if any of these spark your interest to you, then I am definitely willing to help you figure out where your niche is and what you want to do. So some great opportunities in the world of music. Obviously, first off is being a performer. You don't necessarily have to do the competition circuit to be a performer. You could work in an orchestra or you could be a studio or recording musician. So someone who works with a recording studio and does sessions and helps singers produce their, their music. Sometimes they hire professional musicians to come in. Um, they do that for film and TV and video games. They all hire these studio musicians to record. Or you could be a freelance gigging musician. So you could play parties, weddings, other social events, bars, that sort of thing. And you could just be your own boss and just gig. You could join a band or something like that. There's, depending on how much you want to hustle, you can earn a lot of money doing that. Um, and then if you like composing, there's all sorts of ways that you can make money composing. You could do video game music, commercial music, sync music, which means that you write music that is licensed to play in film or TV or um, radio spots, commercials, things like that. And even if you're not the composer, all of these things also have orchestrators, copyists, arrangers, editors, so many different aspects that go into the music that we consume in media. And then there needs to be someone who records those. So you can be a sound engineer, or if you really are into electrical engineering, you could be 
a sound engineer that works for live performances. Make sure that the mix and the sound in the audience sounds just as good as it does on the stage. If you really love engineering, you could work on developments in equipment and making current technology better because they're always trying to make technology better. And if you like law and you like music, you could be an agent or you could be a lawyer, you could go into copyright law. Um, or there's, you know, just academics. You could become a professor, a musicologist, an ethnomusicologist, a music theorist. There's all sorts of all sorts of wonderful things. That's a lot of things. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, the only thing I would add to that is there's also the business side. If you want to use music as a base and you want to, I guess there's two ways to look at it. If you're coming out of undergraduate and you take a diverse range of classes in addition to your music major, there's things you can do in advertising and media Yeah. that you can use your music degree for that... Um, I know certainly in our production company, we were always looking for someone with musical talent. And there's there's ways that we can use that for on, on sound engineering and whatever aside from just the musical talent that the individual has. But it's also a good base, I know from my other experience, if you want to go into the business side of music and go on and get a business degree, you probably need to go get a business degree to do it, but you can then get into the management, as you mentioned, or you know, even on the private equity side, if we're the company's looking at evaluating a music company, then to have that music knowledge along with the business side is really critical. So there's there's just a huge number of things that you can do aside from just teach the yeah. music. Um, I guess the one comment you made that I'm interested in is like the music when you were studying in school. The, the school didn't bring up any of these other career things that you could do. They just they just sat there and said, oh, you can perform or you can teach. You'd think the music schools would also give you some, you know, information oh, yeah. and tie in because it's not like the universities don't have other schools there from business to law to everything else. They might mention, hey, you're studying music. Here's some other things you can do. With, yeah. OK. You know? So in their defense. <laughs> So. True. But in their defense, they had specific majors for all of these things. And. I could have just been dumb and not realized this, but I was in a performance major. And so yeah. for performance, they were very much gearing us to either be a teacher or perform or be a church musician. I forgot. I didn't even list church musician, but there was a whole nother career for media music that talked about all of the sound engineering. I And I didn't even think to look. And that just shows my naivety and stupidity. I guess no, <laughs> I didn't even, I didn't even look, I didn't even realize. And they had a composition major. They had all these majors, but it was hard for me as an 18 year old to know what it was that I wanted to do. Sure. And that's what I would think it would be, you know, who knows what you're going to do at 18, but that's why I was a little surprised that maybe the schools didn't, I mean, yeah. it wouldn't take them very long to spend a day on an overview of all the different things that you could right. do. <laughs> yeah. Just listing you know? them out took me, took me so, a long time. So, well, maybe they'll listen to this podcast now and start doing that. So. Maybe kind of like, a, I think a, it would be good and maybe they have it now, but like a careers in music lecture course or something in your first semester that kind of goes over all the different careers in music. I think that would have been helpful. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And maybe some of them do now. So. Yeah. And to kind of along with going, uh, finding your niche and finding where you fit for some people who love music that takes them to a career that is not in music. And we have a question from Rebecca, and she has this exact question. If I love music but don't want a strictly music career, what other job would benefit from a talent for music? And I'm going to turn this one over to you, Dad. You started touching on it a little bit. Are there other careers that really seemingly don't have anything to do with music but benefit from having a music background? Sure, there's lots of things, but I'm going to change the. I think in listening to the way she's asking that is she 
you know, she kind of doesn't know exactly. She knows she likes music, but she doesn't right. know if she wants to make a lifetime job or career out of, out of music. And, you know, to, to that, I would say to Rebecca, well, yeah, I mean, who knows at, at a young age exactly what they want to do. I mean, I think everybody pretty much goes, goes through that. But the one advice I would give after all these years working and everything is that, you know, what you're interested in, Rebecca. So follow those interests to start with, because what you're going to find out is if you follow your interests, the interests usually lead you to what you want to do in life. doesn't mean that things will always go smoothly or it's easier. You won't end up doing at certain times things you don't want to do, but at least you'll be on the right path to have revealed to you the things that you do like based on your interests. And um, so with music, if you have a music interest, if you start to pursue that, you may find that that leads you to some kind of job that you that you like. For example, um, if you're you're going along in music and you don't necessarily want to be performed, but you're fascinated by the music business, well, you know you do an undergraduate in music and do a do a master's in business administration or something like like that, or um, maybe it leads you to to advertising or to some other things. The other thing, or maybe it maybe it takes you just completely away from music but you like the the skill set that it brings you. Because if you think about what you have to do to be successful in music and watching musicians uh, that I've worked with and Christine, you, you know that to be a musician and be successful, you've really got to be dedicated. So you in practicing, you learn how to set your practice time. You learn all the hard work and dedication. You learn working with groups if you ever play in a group, which benefits you if you're in any job where you have to work with a group. So without going on forever, I would say if you're interested in music at this stage, yeah, follow your music, see where it leads you, and then use all the different skill sets that you get from studying music in whatever career you find and let your interests, not just music, but the other things that you're involved with at a young age to what you like doing in life. Because the worst thing you can do is find a career that you hate and you have to do it eight hours a day or even more these days and seven days a week. You've got to like what you're doing because then it doesn't seem like work, which I know is a trite statement, which everyone says, but it's really true. If you like what you're doing, it doesn't seem like work. Yeah, and I think you're right. I like what you said about um, enjoying and really following where your interests are. And I think it's okay and it's important for us to realize that that's going to change in different parts of our lives and different phases in the lives that we are. And to talk about this, I have a quote from a musician and a music teacher in New York, and her name is Laura. So let's listen to what her advice is. Hi, my name is Laura, and I'm a musician as well as a mother and a listener of the podcast, of course. And as I was thinking about what advice or thoughts I might give to musicians and those who love to make music in the world, I thought about how there are many different phases and stages in life. And hopefully we can enjoy what phase we're in right now and what we're able to do right now. For example, right now I have four daughters. I have um, twin three-year-olds. And it's difficult to put all the music that I would like to do into my life. I used to do a lot more and I taught full-time music. And right now I'm able to teach my daughters piano do Suzuki string lessons with them. We sing together a lot. And um, I also joined the community band recently to play my flute again. I'm hoping to be able to do more in the future, like join a choir or do musicals again. But right now, I'm trying to enjoy the phase of life that I'm in. 
And I hope that everyone out there can do the same because I think that it's important to enjoy what we're doing in the now and not have regrets about what we're not able to do. So I hope you're able to just really love what you do right now in this phase of life. Thanks. I think that's excellent advice. Um, it's amazing that she's still able to do music with four kids, especially. Yeah. She she talks about her twin her twin three year olds. That's amazing. Yeah, and I think you know it goes back to what we talked about having balance and having you've got to have varied interests. You can't do the same thing. You need something to take you away and something that you really enjoy, and that's that's what uh, we've been commenting about. And you can let those, you know, if you're smart, you'll let those interests guide you into what you want to do with your life. But even if it's not a career, it's nice to have some balance and some alternatives to raising four girls, you know? Yeah. So like way to go, Laura, you're a superstar. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So we're going to change gears. We're going to change gears completely. Um, Logan has a very interesting question and it really kind of cracked me up. So I'm going to play Logan's question now. Hi, my name is Logan, and my question is, have you ever hosted a competition that you have competed in? So Logan just thinks you were ensuring success for yourself, doesn't he? So, <laughs> he's, he's finding a way to I'm work this com- I'm going to compete here because I control this. <laughs> the question, the answer, Logan, is no. I've never competed in an actual competition that I was in charge of. I've been in charge of plenty of competitions, um, but usually those competitions are for students, and those are blind competitions where the judges are not allowed to know who that student belongs to. So there's no we try to keep it as fair as possible. I've also judged for competitions and I don't know who the teachers are because that doesn't serve anybody. Competitions are a huge part of being a musician, especially if you're going to be a performing musician, because um, if you remember, Dad, when we had Doug, the editor of Desert News, he came on and he was telling us one of the things that major news outlets look for is some sort of credential. And for musicians, a lot of times the way they get those credentials is through some sort of competition. And so as teachers, we have our students start with competition and auditions very, very early so that they're accustomed to it and they're accustomed to getting uh, feedback, both positive and negative feedback. Because even, you know, even to get into uh, music school, you have to audition and you have to beat out other other people. Now, whether or not that is good for the child's psyche, I think it's, I think it all depends on the teacher and how they frame it and how much pressure the students and the students' parents put on them. But I think that using that competition and learning to either be a good winner or a good loser is, again, another skill that is transferable to all aspects of life. And so I think as long as we are being careful to not only guide our students how to perform well in these competitions, but also how to handle the outcome of those competitions, then it can be a very, very good aspect for them. Yeah. And I think you hit that. I mean, whether it's healthy or not, is a, that's a question for a different day. Yeah. <laughs> but it is critical to the way the whole the whole music education and mm-hmm. industry basically is set up because you hit the two things you have to do. One, it builds a credential, which mm-hmm. as Doug said is is critical when you're trying to get exposure in this right. saturated media market today. But the second part is just the experience you need because everything you do is going to be an audition. And yeah. you know, we do a lot of these podcasts and the musicians, the people tied into the music industry are always talking about all the auditions they have to go to. 
and everything, yeah. but it really applies across all the industries. You know, a job interview is an audition. Um, anything you do basically is an audition. So you have to be prepared for that. Yeah. And in the music world, I know from as you've gone and went through your music education, that's that's a critical way to do it. So I can tell you, Logan, that Christine did a lot of competitions as she started very young with the piano and then then went forward and you benefited from them, but it doesn't always mean it's going to be a pleasant experience either. Right. Because you don't always win the competitions and sometimes you have a bad day, but it's really competitive whatever area you're going into in college, but especially in the music side. And I know in your case, when we went out for the audition for BYU and as naive as we were, because we didn't know that much about the the industry, we didn't realize that out of the 30,000 students at BYU, they took what, 12 performance majors yeah, something in like music. That, yeah. so, <laughs> so fortunately you were prepared and got one of those spots, but you know, without the proper preparation, the results of the competitions and the experience it's going to be pretty hard to continue your music career. It's interesting the way Logan probably didn't quite ask the question, wanting to know what the benefit of the competitions are, but the, their importance is in two things. It's in recognition and in experience. Yes. Yes. And to talk about preparation, uh, a good friend of mine, Joel Dallow, he is a cellist from the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra, and he also has a podcast called The Cello Sherpa. And he was kind enough to give some excellent advice on how to prepare properly, not just for auditions and things, but just in general, how to really do well. I want to congratulate Christine on her 50th episode of Musicians vs. the World, which has been a tremendous resource for so many. When students take private lessons, they usually only get one lesson a week. So the goal of a good teacher is to essentially put themselves out of a job by teaching their students to teach themselves. The average student is probably practicing 7 to 21 hours a week by themselves, so the better practice skills they have, the faster progress they can make. In today's fast-moving world of technology, we can really take advantage of tremendous access to information at our fingertips. So here are some techniques I recommend. First off, when it comes to learning repertoire, utilize all the platforms for listening to music. Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere else and listen to as many different performers playing the same piece as possible. I recommend doing this with the music in front of you and take notes if you find it helpful. If you hear somebody make a slide a certain way, take time or stretch the phrase in a particular way, make a note of it. See how many other artists do the same thing. Try passages in different ways, find different colors, vary your vibrato speed, increase your dynamic range, be inspired. Another incredibly helpful tool is your phone. Use your phone regularly to record yourself, listen, and be picky. This is an amazing tool to help hone intonation and rhythm in particular. It's more challenging when it comes to sound quality, but there are many decent digital recording options if you're able to step up your game in that department. The last thing I would recommend is regarding access to sheet music. Not everything is available, and I'm always advocating for supporting publishers and composers by buying the music whenever possible, but if you are short on budget and the music is out of copyright, you can find many of the pieces you might need on imslp.org. That stands for International Music Score Library Project. None of these resources were available when I was a student, and access to all of this has really raised the overall level of players today. So I hope this advice helps our future musicians take some important steps to being more productive outside of their weekly lesson times. 
So that's a huge thank you to Joel Dallow. Those just chock full of incredible information on how to prepare and how we as teachers can prepare our students. And that just kind of shows how great his knowledge base is. And his podcast is one of my favorites. It's a very, very good one. And actually, I don't know if you knew this, but he interviewed me on his podcast and that's coming out on July 15th. So that'll be fun. You'll have to listen to that. Um, So thanks to Joel for that. To continue on with this idea of performing and doing our best, there's a very good question from Elle. Hi, my name is Elle. My question is, how can I not be so nervous when I'm performing? So I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go ahead and skip to our expert on this. This expert is Megan, and she's an excellent musician, and she has a very solid way that she helps her students deal with being nervous. So I'm going to just go ahead and let her give her answer because her answer is great. My name is Megan Gavin. I'm a vocalist, voice teacher, and yoga and meditation teacher. My piece of advice is dealing with performance nerves and anxiety. I tell my students to find two things, find your breath and find your feet. You can find your breath very simply, no matter where you are. If you're in a place where you can close your eyes, that does help. But if not, just soften your gaze. Take a deep breath in through your nose and fill up from your belly all the way up to your heart. Open up your mouth and sigh it out with an audible sigh. In that you are slowing your breath pace down. You are tapping more into your parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest and digest, rather than the fight and flight response that we sometimes get more nervous or anxious. In the audible sigh, it's creating that oceanic tonal quality, which is very calming for many people. So a few deep cleansing breaths can do the trick. Next is to find your feet. Whether you're on a chair, a bench, or standing, notice how your feet are attached to the ground. This can help with your feeling that sort of floaty feeling when you're anxious. Feeling your feet attached to the ground and then breathing into the ground all the way up to your heart. And again, sighing out if you like those deep cleansing breaths. So finding yourself in a space where you're feeling the nerves and anxiety, take those deep cleansing breaths, find your feet and get grounded, and you will do a wonderful job. So dad, I know that you are constantly in high stress situations, maybe not playing an instrument, but you have done many, many public speaking and many high pressure situations. What's some sort of things that you do that can be applicable to musicians? Megan's advice is really, really good on on the technical aspect and stuff. Mine's more of a general because... I can I can relate to Elle's question because when I was young, I would get very nervous. I hated public speaking or took piano for a little bit and did not like performing the piano. But there are things that are very similar because whether you're you're giving a presentation, you're acting, or you're um, you're public speaking, and I guess public speaking is a little bit closer to to the performing that's not in an orchestra. You know, if you're a solo performer or even a small small group because you're out there on your own in front of the, the big audience. And so from a general standpoint, what I found over the years is there's two basic things to do. First thing is to really know your material, be prepared and actually be overprepared because honestly, your audience can always sense when you're not self-confident and it's all about having confidence. And so you really want to be able to be prepared and know your material cold so that if something happens, even if you have to stop, like let's say you're, you're, play, you're playing along and your music blows off the stand or something else should happen to you, you would know where to get it and pick right up if it wasn't memorized piece. But see, I'm not saying you have to memorize everything, but you need to know it so well that you know that if whatever happens, you're ready. 
to, to right. deal with it on stage. The second thing is, and I know it's not always possible, but a lot of times it is, especially if you're performing thing, and that's go to the venue or go wherever you are in advance. So you see mm-hmm. where you're going to be playing and mm-hmm. talk to whoever's in charge of the event so that they know you understand the cues and you know the order of who's coming on. Because what you don't want to have to do is go out there and worry about the tech side. You don't want to have to worry about light cues or that if they're running something behind you, some visual, that that's going to take place to the right. So I would advise you at least go out like, and I, again, I know it's not always possible, but it, ideally it's the day before so they have time to fix anything so that you know that all you have to do is go on that stage and perform right. because then you'll have the confidence to do it and you won't have to worry about anything else that's peripherally around the event. Um, and then the, the, that's the first general one. So there's preparedness is the first one. The second thing is basically experience. And that goes a little bit to competitions. But I think what you have to understand is we're always going to be nervous with the adrenaline rush when you go out. But the more you do it, the more you'll understand group dynamics. Because what you're going to find is that as you go out, audiences tend to react the same way audiences kind of get a a group bonding amongst themselves. And you have to realize that the reason they're there is to hear you play. People don't really want you to not succeed, but Mm -hmm. they can, like I said at the beginning, they can sense if you're self-confident or not. So as you gain this experience, you'll understand this. You can control the adrenaline rush at the beginning and start your concert with confidence. And once the audience sees that you're confident that it's going to know, and this can happen really quickly at the beginning, They'll relax and you'll relax. And as you go through, you can see you can control the mood of the audience with the mood of what you're what you're playing. Um, and that goes for that goes for speaking too. You know, and if you're doing a concert where you're interacting, both talking to the audience and playing, you'll you'll see how you can manipulate them with stories and manipulate in a good way. You know, by yeah. manipulate I mean entertain them. I don't mean you want them to get them to do something that's off the wall or or bad. It's to give them what they paid for and enjoy your presence there on stage. But that only comes with experience. So you have to force yourself to go out there. And even though it's going to be uncomfortable, but when you, if you keep doing that and you start at a young age, by the time you get older, unless you're one of these people that just is never, never nervous, but I'm assuming that L is a little bit nervous now. So, so the two, two things, and I've just learned this over all, all my years in business is just ultra prepared and then lots of experience doing it by forcing yourself to go into uncomfortable situations. So yeah, that's, and, and you'll be surprised. You'll really, as even though right now you're nervous and scared about things, you really can overcome that and become very successful in what you do. Yeah. I like what you said about the group dynamics because and the manipulation, <laughs> because really music and with public speaking, it really is about connecting with your audience and having this connection either through the stories or the speech that you're giving. And for musicians, it's a very abstract sort of thing. And I mean, unless you're singing, unless there's there's words to it that the audience understands, it's a very abstract sort of connection you're making with your audience. And you can really feel the energy that is shared between a happy, excited audience and an audience that you've lost for some reason. And the more prepared you are and the more you realize that the audience wants you to do well and they're there cheering for you and they are excited to hear what you have to say and they're excited to make that connection. I think that helps get you in the right mindset. So you're not scared of, oh no, am I going to mess up? It's going to be like, oh, I'm so excited to share this with my audience. 
I guess I would replace the word manipulation with communication because yeah. as you mentioned at the beginning, I run a production company. And so we do at this point, hundreds of organizational videos and then just right. a few content creation videos through Frosted Lens and stuff. Um, and as you know, because you're our music, though, one of the critical things as we go through a production is what are we trying to communicate? And an absolutely critical, I say about 50% of it comes through the sound and music. Yes. If you're making a point, what's the proper music to use here and communicate the message? And we do it on the production side, guessing what the audience will, will see. You know, we've gotten pretty good at it, so we know what it's going to do to the mood of the, the video or the images that are being presented and the overall messaging. And it's just no different than what the audience, what you just talked about with the audience. So it's really, right. it's really a communications strategy, whether you're working in motion pictures or you're live on stage. Yeah, absolutely. And this kind of goes along with our other quote from another expert, Deb Dickensheets. She's a pianist and an organist and teacher in the Atlanta area, wonderful musician. And this was her advice for musicians. And it kind of goes along with that communication and really enjoying yourself as you're there. Um, she says, musicians enjoy collaborating with your friends. Nothing can be more motivating or enjoyable than a joint effort to create something beautiful in a universal language. As a multi-keyboardist musician, it is easy to feel isolated playing solo, so I highly recommend seeking out like-minded musicians whose company is appreciated to inspire and encourage creativity. And that's a fantastic thing to do if you do suffer from some from some performance anxiety is to play chamber music and to play with a group to kind of ease yourself into that solo work because it's a lot easier to go and enjoy something when you're with somebody else. Especially the like-minded part. You don't want to like break out into a fist fight between the <laughs> violins and the brass part as you're on stage. I mean, although that oh, could I be guess. entertaining, you know. So. <laughs> you should have seen some of the rehearsals I have seen. Oh, some of them I thought were going to end up. Not me. I wasn't going to ever fight with anybody, but I've, I've sat in on. <laughs> but there is, I mean, that does make a good point that there are always going to be disagreements and learning how to communicate effectively with your ensemble partners is a huge part of being a musician because you mm -hmm. are sharing such an important part of yourself. Um, and so it is important when you are collaborating with your friends to maintain very good, very, very good communication. You can learn when to use that death stare oh. <laughs> across the side of saying, why did you do that? I hate you. Oh, so. my goodness. I have had to use that death stare once or twice. <laughs> Not, I, was, I was conducting something, and it was an orchestra and a choir, and one of the choir members was very, very uh, opinionated and kind of interrupted me, and I had to give him a death stare. He stopped. He stopped talking after a while. He became like-minded. <laughs> he became like-minded. Like you must yes. be like-minded with the conductor. You must follow yeah. the conductor. I think that's a future um, podcast that we'll put together, how to, how to make your orchestra become like-minded with you. <laughs> that's a good idea. Um, and then there's, there's one more expert opinion and word of advice from Austin Pensner, the functional musician, and he has a blog with it too. It's just fantastic, so I highly recommend that one as well. He says, taking care of the body is a lifelong pursuit and can positively influence and impact your playing. Remember, the body always keeps score. That's a good one. Yeah. We, I, I know we've had episodes about this. We actually have an episode about this next time, all about what we can learn from professional athletes about keeping our bodies healthy because music 
is a very physical activity with lots of repetitive movement. And if we don't keep our bodies and our minds healthy, then we won't have a career. So that's excellent advice from Austin. Thank you. Thank you, Austin. Our final question is from Carolyn. So let me pull this one up. This is Carolyn. As I listen to all of your podcasts, I notice that you ask most of your guests a question. So I would like to ask you, knowing what you know now and going through all that you have gone through, would you tell 17-year-old Christine to go into music? That's a good question. I would say yes. I would say yes. I don't think I can get away without it. Uh, I remember when I was going, I had just graduated from my undergraduate degree and I was trying to decide what I wanted to do again because I probably did not pay attention in the careers in music class. Um, but um, I was trying to figure out what, what my next step was. And my professor said, yeah, you should go to grad school, but only if you can't imagine life without music. And at the time, I wasn't really sure about that because I wasn't sure what to do grad school in, you know, I was kind of thinking about, do I want to be a music therapist? Do I want, that was kind of the, that's kind of the course I was planning on going was, was music therapist. But then I ended up going more the performer route and then the teacher route. And then when rheumatoid arthritis kind of threw everything for a loop, I ended up in the sound engineering and the composing route. And it's been a really long kind of roundabout experience, but I'm grateful for all of those experiences. And I think every single one of those different paths that I've been on has made me an overall better musician. And um, even getting hurt, even having rheumatoid arthritis made me appreciate the skills that I had. It took me it took me about five years to get my disease under control to the point where I could play again. And that made me appreciate all of the, I guess, talent that I had taken for granted the first you know, the first 30 years of my life. So yeah, I would tell her to go for it. I, I wish I had this podcast when I was 17 though. (laughs) I think if I had had something like this, where I'd listened to a lot of different musicians and what their experiences and what their life was like and the things that they'd learned through their careers. I think if I'd had something like this, this kind of resource, it would have helped me a lot. Um, which is why, honestly, why we started this podcast is to help people who are who are musicians and want to do things and need some support, need some education that they have a place to go to and have a resource. So yeah, I think that's my answer. I would without a doubt tell me to go ahead and do it again. What about you, dad? Would you tell 17 year old Christine to continue in music? Absolutely. One thing I don't think your audience realizes because you're, you do the this podcast, you talk about all the different subjects is that you're an extremely talented pianist in, in addition to the other Thank things. You. So I know the arthritis kind of put a crimp in in the career, but uh, you certainly wanted to take advantage of that talent and play all the things that you got to play as a youngster, including at the Olympics and stuff in Salt Lake. Yeah. So I would absolutely say it. And it goes back to, you know, we joke around and whatever, but as we've gone through all these questions, it really goes back. And I think one of the reasons that you do is you would like people to follow their interests. Isn't There's no way that music's an easy career. Right. Um, there's a, there's a lot of competition. It's a lot of mix of hard work and talent. And, but, and this is what I told you and I tell everybody is like, follow your interests. You don't want people to ever tell you what you can and can't do. Again, it doesn't mean that you can always do what you want to do, but you can always do some form of what you want to do with right. your interests. If you can't make a career out of it, you can at least make a really good 
sidelight or something else, a different part of your life that maybe you're not that making that much money at, but you are enjoying and balancing your life at. So, um, yeah, absolutely. It's been, there's certainly been ups and downs like in, in any career, but I right. think you don't give up on it until you've yeah. exhausted every single avenue or until you just don't have the interest anymore. But as long as you have the interest, yeah, keep at it. I think if you love it and if you can't live without it, you can make it work. Yeah. I think that's a really good thing. This has been really fun. This has been fun. 50th podcast. And luckily, luckily for your listeners, they won't have to hear me for another 50 episodes. (laughs) We'll bring you back on for 100. You've given so much good advice, though. See, now everybody knows why I am so well-rounded and so adjusted (laughs) well. It's because look at my father. (laughs) No, I'm really glad. Thank you for being here. Thanks for agreeing to be on the mic this time and to give your sage advice. It's been great to talk about these subjects with you. That's been fun. All right. Thanks to everybody. Thanks to all of our listeners. And we will be back next time uh, with our next episode of Musicians Versus the World. Thank you again. And happy 50th episode, everyone. Musicians Versus the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out on any future conversations. Also, if you're more of a visual person and are interested in seeing our faces, you can now find us on YouTube on our Musicians vs. the World channel. And if you want to help us reach more people that may be interested in today's topic, please share this episode with them or leave us a nice review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you need to reach us, we'd love to hear from you. And you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or send us an email at info at Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.